Hello everybody and welcome back to Sequelizers. It's an inter-season episode this time and as always, I am your host, Jack Chambers. Joining me are my three sequelizing compatriots, Mr. Matthew Stogden. <sighs> yep, that sums up Matt's energy for this episode. Hope you're ready, folks. <laughs> the more energetic Timothy Matum. That's more energetic. <laughs> and everybody's favourite dad, Alec Plowman. See, before the episode started... Tim Matum gave me a Charmander Pez dispenser, and I have now eaten all of my Pez, <laughs> and I am really hoping that these are not laxatives. You'll Hi, know everybody. If, if you disappear for 10 minutes in the middle of the episode. Hang on, hang on, hang it's on. It's the Pez you, poops, everybody. You ate all the Pez, Tim, you ate some of the Pez, and I ate only one Pez. I've had no Pez. Oh, well, We're um, all the different scales of Pez. Jack, yeah. Jack, can I have some of your Pez? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good for it, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll suck your dick. <laughs> I like that you introduced him as the dad of the group and then his immediate comment was, I've eaten, I've eaten my sweeties. I've eaten my sweeties and I might need a poo. I'm a father now. What, like post-poo? Yes. My poo. We need a biology lesson for you after this episode, Jack. Hashtag Pez Poop Baby. <laughs> Jack, who Jack yep. is tweeting that with yep. a hashtag? <laughs> and who is clicking it, that hashtag? I'm going to add to that. has ever been and tweeted how can before. We get them on our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to God that's never been tweeted before. That's the <laughs> first time ever use of a hashtag. There are no originals. So. I feel like through the course of this show, we've invented a few hashtags. So yeah, yeah. Fuck you, Jamie Kennedy, being uh, <laughs> the you, most common place. Oh, I stand by that wholeheartedly. Another thing I stand wholeheartedly by is that trilogies can often be quite good. And then the fourth film falls off a goddamn cliff. And that is the subject of this episode, as suggested by one of our patrons. Mr. Mark Honeyborn. He's been going through his collections of VHS, DVDs, Blu-rays, and he's trying to find something to sequelize. And he thought, why not franchises that start off really good with the trilogy, and then the fourth one absolutely tanks it. Discuss, gentlemen. Well, firstly, I'm disappointed that uh, Mark doesn't have any Laserdisc in his collection. Oh, uh, you're lacking. You want to check out Laserdisc, VCD. He did say he worked at a video rental store before, so maybe he did back in the day. Uh, was was the Laserdisc rental scene pretty big, Alec? I feel no, like you're the, no, right, was, you're the right was, person to ask. It was that. not at all, Jack. It was a premium format. If I'm honest, that was a stupid question. Move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> renting laser disc, Jack, you idiot! <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the baby of the group. I don't know what a laser disc is. It's a giant frisbee. It's like a giant metal frisbee. Like a CD, right? But big. Put it in your CD player, mate. It'll be fine. <laughs> Crack <Yeah>. it in. <laughs> <laughs> they're like they're the vinyl size. Just melt big it CD down things, and right? pour it into the slot. Mm. Yeah. Nothing says film like changing four or five fucking giant discs, <laughs> flipping them over. I wonder how loud they were, because I must admit, I don't know so, film blue. Side note, but I own the Lord of the Rings trilogy on VCD. Oh, wow. What the, what the, what the fuck is VCD? Video CD. Yeah. Um, what the fuck? I'll, t I'll tell you later. But anyway, that's four discs of film. Google it, children. <laughs> four discs so, of yeah. film. Oh, it's like Final Fantasy VII on PlayStation. Amazing. <laughs> Bloody hell. So... Let's get back to some trilogies that fell off a goddamn cliff then. The obvious one is one we tackled just recently, Die Hard. 
I think that's kind of the uh, that's probably part of what inspired me. And I'm like, yeah, that is a really good point. Some of the trilogies are good, and then the fourth one tanks it. I and... think there are maybe. Okay, maybe I'm generalising a little too much, but there might be possibly just two categories here. You have the ones where three, and again, I know Die Hard is a bit of a controversial one because people are like, oh, two is shit, but there are three solid films and then it starts to wane. Or alternatively, the other, and Die Hard is a prime example of that, the other option is something like Toy Story, the perfect trilogy, and then another good one. It's one of those things where for a while that was going to be my discussion point was Toy Story, except it doesn't go shit it's still good. It's just painfully unnecessary. Um, I have some thoughts about Toy Story 4, but that, that is for another time because that's a whole rabbit hole right there. I think it's interesting with trilogies because part of when we got this question through, the first thought that came to my head is, well, why do, why do we think about movies as trilogies in the first place? And I think that narratively there is a tradition for trilogies. Our, our stories tend to be in three acts. So the idea of then extending something once you have a successful film, it seems to make sense to extend it to three films because you can then do a sort of a larger three-act structure. And this is the thing, is then the challenge after you've made three films work is what you do with the fourth one because often at the end of a trilogy and again we will come on to some examples where this isn't the case but depending on the kind of film you're making it feels like you very much completed an arc so how do you then go about making a fourth film and i think it's also the case that films tend to have when you're making a sequel what you tend to do is you tend to take the structure of the first one in terms of narrative repeat it but create new character conflicts within it that's generally the way to make a sequel work because it's balancing giving people enough of what they wanted from the first one with the new character stuff that they didn't expect only i think you can only stretch that for about three films because there are otherwise people then do start to really notice that basically the same thing is happening from a from a story perspective if not from a motivation and character perspective every uh every film so i think that's the reason that the number four is so problematic yeah i think you're right it is it is a part uh of our history as you say with a three-act structure the beginning the middle and end uh it's very rare you'll deviate from that in any arguable story form and the first thing people sort of criticize when you're writing in a academic mindset and as, as a you know first story as a child you need to have a beginning of a story a middle of a story then end of story and it's just drilled into you as a format but also then you have things like if you have a realm to expand and we're going to mcu territory again uh where again all the standalones largely trilogies until thor and that's largely because nobody especially liked the one two three that they had everyone really jumped on with thor once he already got to really ragnarok stage was just being a different character effectively so unlike the others where you say like the whole arc is completed sometimes the character changes so much because of external influence and all that sort of stuff that you go oh well we'll just start the trilogy here and the same way that one could uh, sort of argue that the star wars sequel trilogy so far and obviously we haven't we haven't seen uh, rise of skywalker doesn't feel like a trilogy yet because Last Jedi feels like the start of a story, not the middle of a story. So th- there, are, there are bits that just don't make sense and have a little bit of running weirdness. But by and large, one, two, three makes sense. And then... Uh, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting that the only fourth 
uh, in a series for the MCU f- that we've got so far is Avengers. And yeah, yeah. technically, like, you, there's a way of looking at Infinity War and Endgame that they are one big story. And so it doesn't, in a way, it doesn't feel like that's a fourth film. And especially because Age of Ultron isn't that good. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, the, the, the fact that we're getting a fourth Thor, I don't think anyone would have predicted. No, no. Um, and it's also, you know, you can understand why... Hollywood has become so enamoured of the cinematic universe is because it allows you to maintain that intellectual property and uh, stuff like that and and the familiarity that people built up with characters but it allows you to do a trilogy and then move off in a different direction and not be not struggle with that kind of repetition and that that seemingly kind of poisoned fourth part. So one of the things that I think is interesting here, firstly with the Marvel example, I Marvel feels very different to me because of the nature of those films. Oh, yeah, so because to what extent is any of those a trilogy when they're all interconnected yeah, and they're all sequels to each other? Marvel does things very differently anyway. I think it's going to be kind of difficult to conceptualize exactly what how that all lays out and where the land lies with that until we are... At a time until we're at a time where we've had a bit of distance from Marvel movies being made. You mean well, never? <laughs> they will just keep making the we'll monies. See. But um, what I what I think is interesting is, of course, up until really relatively recently, sort of in the past twenty years, it was incredibly unusual, with the exception of really James Bond, for a film to ever get more than two sequels. I think the idea. The idea of anything more than a trilogy. And the big horror franchises we talked about, yeah. you know, yeah. Friday you the long... 13th and stuff like yeah. that. You have a continuous run. And even if you go back to the old Universal horror films as well, yes, yeah, some of them have twos and threes and fours and things like that, but they're not usually numbered. It's just actually more of the same serialized it's... shit. It's very strange to be in a situation now where so routinely you have a successful franchise and you just see more and more and more of it. Yes, Um yes. In that it's now commonplace. We're now not surprised when we hear that they're making a fourth of whatever. Yeah. But that didn't used to be the case. I no. remember certainly growing up, you were, I always thought about film series in threes. I, I think that's because some of the most successful th- trilogies like Back to the Future and Indiana Jones, uh, for when we were kids at least, and Star Wars, there were, there were these iconic three, three, three. Uh, whereas things like Rocky, which just kept going, everyone was like, ha, ha, ha. And even Spaceballs makes a joke about it because it's like, it's never fucking ending. And again, uh, Back to the Future itself makes shows about Jaws, never ending the films. Well, even like an Alien up to a point. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. being surprised, and I'd not seen the Aliens films at this point. I was aware of them, but being surprised when it was announced that they were making a fourth one because it was like, okay, that's unusual film number four yeah i think there's definitely and we you know like we've kind of said first thing like that that idea of the trilogy is so ingrained um and and i think that you know part of it is because hollywood now is so fixated on kind of existing properties and Mm. making them run into perpetuity whereas previously because things were a lot not necessarily more short-sighted but like it would be hard to guarantee any given film like yeah you're gonna not only get a sequel but two sequels and possibly more like films didn't tend to be set up with the idea of continuing the story you know um you take you know something like for example Die Hard or Terminator or 
um, alien. Like all of those would work perfectly fine as a standalone film and it's only because they were a so successful and b that you know very talented writers and filmmakers working on them that they work as a series whereas a lot more stuff now gets kind of built with the idea that we we want this to run as long as possible it's interesting thinking about it because and again that thing's running as long as possible and especially in relation to talking about marvel i remember in the early to mid 2000s the idea of doing three films was what was seen as being a really successful run Mm. and there was a period in time there where it was the case that you would make film number one and then you would make film number two and three back to back Mm. like what happened with the matrix series and back to the future yeah and i think that and back to the future much earlier than that but by the early to mid 2000s that was fairly commonplace the expectation was that you wouldn't carry it beyond Mm. a trilogy or the expectation was we will make a trilogy and then see where the land lies i think we're in a very different world now where it is we'll just keep making them and see see what happens they've even got the thing where you take the hunger games films for example where it probably should have been three films and like "Ah, we'll squeeze an extra one out of it and that last film is a fucking hard watch. I know they did that with The Twilights. They split that in half. Obviously, like a trilogy that probably should have never happened, which is a totally different discussion, but The Hobbit trilogy is another example of that. Of We're getting into this thing, like you said, of stretching out this idea as much as we need to get as many films. Harry Potter's another example of it as well. Like, Let's make the final one a two-parter for money reasons and not actual creative or interesting reasons it's and always the idea that the first couple of installments of a book they're like we'll ditch all these subplots and by the end it's like we have to make all the subplots work bring all those characters back that were never in the original films oh shit we made no connection with these but we need to drag it out because otherwise the studio is gonna fucking go under <laughs> and I, I think it's interesting because i i think there definitely is this idea of you know that, oh there's so many films where there's a good trilogy and then it goes off a cliff but i think increasingly we're getting more and more examples of stuff where that's not the case you know and you take you can take a franchise like fast and furious where arguably it doesn't get good until number five which is like like that just wouldn't have happened you know if that if that film series had been made you know 10 years earlier it would have you know they would have made one maybe two because it was a success and then it just would have kind of gone to vhs it wouldn't have been made 10 years later where they fucking have like the idea of like Films one, two, and three, and four didn't happen. Well, no yeah. good. Fuck it. Reboot it after like yeah. Yeah. And the weird thing is, it was made ten years earlier, and that's essentially kind of yeah. what happened. Only it just happened in that transition period where, yeah. in any other time, I think we would have gotten to Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift, and we would have turned around and said, "Nope, didn't happen." Yeah. Like that. That's the end of it. That's yeah. we're not doing another one. Yeah. It was a perfectly timed car. Carbon past it. Just so you know, audience, yes, that was um we have a a Foley man yeah. on on staff who's just Foley man is Brad. Um Brad doesn't talk because of a disease, but he has the sounds. Do do the woo noise. That's him. I mean to be fair, <laughs> Brad's only come up once. We've hired him now for four seasons. Yeah. It's just Brad. Brad has been the biggest waste of our time. And shut up, Brad. We've been and our energy. And uh, and if there's any sound, uh, no, you can't do any sound effects now. No one's walking up a gravel fucking path now. Well, it doesn't help that the only thing that he's got is that motorbike. (laughs) (laughs) The one effect. Waiting for that reference. Didn't use it at all during the Fast and the Furious episode. That's because he's slack. 
and he's where all our Patreon money goes. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That's Patreons, you're paying for Brad's bread. wages. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you, Brad. Fuel, fueling his motorbike. <laughs> I yeah. will not be silent. <laughs> I've been quiet for too long, Stockton. Didn't you just say he was a mute? I ripped up my... I'm not mute anymore. Got the rivet of future. My time. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Look at that. But you're going into more wrestling themes for a second. So let's get around to discussing some of these trilogies that fall off cliffs. Tim, why don't you kick us off, please, sir? So my choice immediately sort of breaks the rules yeah. um, because it is arguably a film where the only good one is sort of the first one to the point where previously before my time previously on sequel previously on sequelizers anyone is expecting it to x-men it ain't it ain't x-men connecting it to tim there it's not x-men for once yeah previously on sequelizers uh we tackled it or you guys tackled it and you started with film number two and it's the Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. Or Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, no, no, no one says uh, that. <laughs> no. Fluke, fluke du Caribic, I believe it is in a language, but I can't remember what language. So <laughs> it's because I in some ways it's it's a bit like Die Hard. Because it's you Where have the one fuck very, are you going in that sentence, Tim? You have one yes. very good film. <laughs> the lead actor gets worse and worse as the film's going. Yeah. He gives less of a fuck as it goes well, on. Well it's it's like if if Die Hard slowly became about Al. Die Hard on a boat. <laughs> um, yeah, you have one very good film, and then you have two and three, which are less good. Mm. And then you have four and five, which are just real dog shit. Yeah. Because as mixed bags as two and three are, boy, they should have stopped there. It's a, It's a really... It's a kind of fascinating series because they, when they first did it, they had no idea it was going to be a success. It was as much of a gamble as Disney ever makes. We're going to make a film based on a theme park ride that like, no one really cares about. And it's going to be a pirate film which haven't been successful in donkey's years and are notoriously hard to make and expensive to make with kind of a bunch of nobodies and Johnny Depp. Being ridiculous. Uh, being ridiculous. Yeah. So it was a real gamble, and obviously it paid off, and that first Pirates film is very good. Mm. Um, a great kind of family adventure film. And I actually I really respected uh, when they started making the, trilog- uh, the, the trilogy, and it, it's one of those classic 2000s, we're going to make two and three at the same time, yeah. you know, to the point where, you could again, you could kind of consider them one film, a bit like the Matrix sequels. The screenwriters actually were like, they held their hands up. And they said, yeah, we never expected this to be a success. And we had to kind of go back and scour the first film for, like, the mythology and the world building that can turn this into a trilogy. Like, we're going to have to, like, oh, okay, he's got this camp uh, compass in the original one that, like, points to where he needs to go. But what if it's not that it just points to, you know, the curse cave maybe it points to like wherever he needs to go and now we can make it a MacGuffin that works in the other films as well and they had to do with this kind of like weird archaeology on their own film to turn it into a trilogy and obviously they added a whole bunch of other elements the Davy Jones and stuff like that and it's kind of a fascinating 
study in like turning a single successful film into a trilogy, um, turning a ride, a theme and park a into a, ride a trilogy, into a film into a trilogy. <clears throat> yeah, and admittedly, like I don't think there's many people out there who would say that the the second and third are anywhere near as good as the first. I was looking at the Rotten Tomato scores just now, and it's like it's seventy something for the first film. Really. I would have thought that would have been higher for mm. 70 than 70-something. And then I think it drops to about high 50s for the second, low 50s, high 40s for the third, and then it's like 22 and 17 or something like that. Um, but I think there's genuinely like great moments in those films and a lot of really interesting stuff in there. And I think, you know, in, in some ways they're perfect fodder for sequelizing because there's there's real gems in there and genuinely great scenes like the scene where Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley get married on on the ship during the fight. Like that's uh, a great that's a great scene. With Jeffrey Rush officiating yeah. the yeah, yeah. Mm. And then you have four and five and they continue they get they get rid of your central couple who were the protagonists of the first film like no matter how much they try and tell you that Johnny Depp is the mm-hmm. is the central character he's not he's he's essentially the hand solo mm-hmm. of the first film and it's it, it, trying to make it his film series is such a mistake because it is taking a character who fundamentally like can't sustain that kind of narrative and forcing him to be the the main protagonist and hero and it just doesn't work and obviously it's Johnny Depp who, you know, I, I think it was between four and five that obviously all of the stuff about his uh, relationships and alcoholism came out and made number five particularly, like, uncomfortable viewing when you're watching him, like, swaggering around, pretending to be drunk. And it's like, oh, that reminds me of that footage of you when you've, like, polished off a bottle of wine and it's 11 o'clock in the morning. He also had a, a, a mic or a, a, a receiver in his ear, sorry, an earpiece, I believe, mm. feeding him the fucking lines on five, yeah. apparently, just because he was just like, nah, I don't give a shit. Yeah. And as fucking you say, hell. one, two, and three are contained as a story, as you say, the characters return. And a, a good little test for you boys and girls at home is uh, try and remember the fucking titles of four and five. Just the, the subtitles of the films. And you're like, wait, now, I know there are two for the fifth one because it's a European release and or international release and the American release. And you end up going, yeah, it's... Uh... I can name five, I can't name four. What, 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 what's five? Salazar's Revenge. It is over here. Yeah. Why would I know the other one? <laughs> because I know everything. Um, no, it's it's but it's a prime example. And again, have you seen four and five? No, exactly. I've yeah, seen it, half of four, and I think I fell asleep. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing. No, it's because if at the time when one, two, and three came out, to not see three, even though you had ah, three, it's not that great. You'd still probably go and see it mm. because they were still big blockbustery, yeah, big films. And again, because Verbinski had a story, arguably, and as you say, they were mining for bits and pieces. But because they had an arguable vision from start to end and there was a clear direction and a director for it it felt more as a contained experience yeah even if two and three don't quite work they feel like you say they feel cohesive with the first film whereas four and five just it feels like a a wounded animal like limping (laughs) forwards um and it's just an example of like that real like we know these films can sort of make money so we'll keep making them until mm. they prove financially unviable <laughs> until which china I think, gets sick of them yeah um 
and of course two and three you have the amazing davy jones uh cgi which i think deserves its own little shout out because whether that's a good character or not like bill nye is doing some good stuff and the cgi like you still special effects artists look at that and go we don't know how they did that and it's 12 years later and people still go like how (laughs) yeah so i I, to me they're kind of maybe not a classic example of a trilogy that falls off a cliff but certainly like of of the kind of modern ones of the last you know this century i think they're a very good example of a series that should have been put out of its misery long ago i think just a little extra point here that in an alternate universe where the Matrix didn't stop at three, and I know that there's potentially Matrix four and what the fuck ever. Probably will be, yeah. Did, yeah. Imagine they did a four and five in the same time they did the Pirates films, mm-hmm. so same space. Say they're also of the quality of Pirates mm-hmm. four and five. Were we to get more Matrix four and five that are so terrible mm-hmm. that is a fucking they story retroactively about- make two and three look better? Exactly. <laughs> It elevates the others by by proxy just because it's like, I mean, yeah, they got the problem, but fuck me, they're not Matrix 4 where Morpheus decided he was going to get, I don't know. We could be having that conversation in like two years time. That terrifies me. Actually, yeah, CGI dog is going to be the thing, isn't it? CGI dog. Just like some of the mask, right, guys? (laughs) It's going to be CGI James Dean that turns into a CGI dog. Fucking CGI James Dean. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Makes me so angry. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's that's my my little spiel on pirates. Not not a perfect trilogy, but way better than four and five, mm. and much better than actual piracy. And yes, yes, in, in young Alec, <laughs> a man who has been discussing piracy on this podcast piracy. for many. I went to a pirate museum in Nassau in the Caribbean. It was really cool. Did you see a 12-year-old Alec being like, was I trying to flog you a copy of Shrek 2? <laughs> it, it was literally a, a very crude waxwork of Alec a young, young, young Welshman who was, uh, I assume, videotaping off a television with a camcorder. <laughs> Why would I do that? I don't know your methods, pirate! Well, so what I'd do is I'd put a DVD in the machine and then I'd get my video recorder, get my camcorder, <laughs> I record the DVD Why off of the television. Why yeah, Why would you cam a DVD? <laughs> I, I do my own commentary. I do. I'm an. I'm, I buy my shit. I'm sorry. I don't understand. I, I was just assume you being an honest citizen here. I man. assume it's either that or the or the um, uh, be kind rewind method where you just make your own film, <laughs> your Sweden version. Little from column A, little from column B. <laughs> a y- young Alec Plowman was such a notorious pirate that at one point the Phantom showed up and yelled, "Slam evil!" Ah, brilliant. My childhood in a nutshell, right there. Um, uh, <laughs> Jack. What's what's your trilogy that uh, takes it. takes a dire turn? I think it's a more of a, a not sure a definitive one, but a very clear. The first three have a very clear kind of connection, and then the rest of them fall off a fucking cliff. And that's the Born series, Jason Born, if you will. <laughs> I will, <laughs> and starts off so good. I mean, granted, it's caused a lot of shaky cam bullshit and a lot of other movies, but. I really enjoy the Bourne series. I think the first three genuinely tell an interesting story and make that character an iconic kind of 
modern action hero. And I guess it was kind of a, a lot of people saw it as the invention of that style of action. And it's really been an influential thing throughout the years. And then fucking Jeremy Renner shows up and we get Born Legacy. And it's one of those... It, it's almost an idea for a sequelizer thing if you guys were shit. And because it's like, yeah, well, we'll just um, we'll just do a thing and then expand to bigger conspiracy and we'll see the other guys who are doing the same training as the original Jason Bourne and then we'll just spin off from there and Renner will get his own trilogy and everything will be fine. If it was just a standalone action film that happened to be about a, see- a sleeper seller spies, it'd be, it'd be fine. Perfectly serviceable action film, but it's not. It's following one of the most, Im- not important, but definitely important to certain action films because it made a grounded, realistic, as you say, the shaky cam, like any cinematic tool in the hands of a bad director, mm-hmm. is awful. But what the Bourne films did was produce something that was like, wasn't fantastical over the top. And again, at the same time, you had like Die Another Day coming out with windsurfing on a fucking tidal wave away from a space laser bullshit sleep and you know then you got Matt Damon in Paris getting a car and thinking Jesus Christ this is intense he stabbed that guy with a pen <laughs> fuck <laughs> I want to watch porn films with you man. <laughs> <laughs> he stabbed him with a pen <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> one day I'm going to have to raise some sort of kid and Tanner's like did you, did you bloody see that that man <laughs> cheeky Herbert Jesus Christ He's bloody done. He's bloody dead. Shot him. Shot him dead. Didn't even fucking close the door. Shot him dead. At which which point, obviously, we cut to the future where Alec is recording that with a camcorder. (laughs) 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 But, um, yeah, no, so it was very very important, but then it it bled into this very flat film. Sorry, back to you, Jack. It's a a weird thing, like I say. It's it's an idea that could, in theory, work. I don't know... We've talked about this in terms of expanding it out and kind of doing that turn and kind of doing a oh do something a little bit different. We we can't continue keep doing the same thing and make something a little bit different, and that's how you keep a a series fresh. It didn't work, and I th- I agree with you, Matt. I wonder. I I haven't looked into this. I probably should do like thinking. Did it start off as another completely different film, and they were like, "Fuck it, put Jason Bourne in there, put Bourne in the title." It'd be it fine. wouldn't surprise me. And it's, just, it's some completely unrelated script that they just picked. I was like, "Hey, generic action movie, Renner, get doing something." I think this was based on the books because I know that after the original, I can't remember the name of the author. I'm afraid, but the the books were, and then there's the literally like tons of imitation books by the guy who picked up the legacy of the Bourne. For like a better title. No. Yeah, sorry. Pun intended. Uh, I hate puns, so no. Mantle. Of, of <laughs> the Bourne Mantle. Bourne Mantle. The Bourne Mantle piece where all the trophies go for Bourne shaking his camera. Heritage. <laughs> um, and it, it, it continued all these different spin-off books in the same way that any, you know, uh, prolific writer who makes an amazing series and then there's like, you know, imitators who do an arguably good imitation job, except the film was... Eh, eh, eh. Yeah. I think a big part of the problem here is that when your film is named after the protagonist and your I, yeah. protagonist is a big part of the appeal, or the chap around whom the entire movie is centred, to call a movie The Born Something and then not have Matt Damon in it is a really daft idea. Yeah. If they had done it where it was named after the program, it had been like Treadstone Identity or whatever, yeah. like Treadstone something. You can make that Treadstone Legacy and kind of spin it off, which is what, what they've done with the TV show. It's called Treadstone and it's a prequel. Oh, okay. Yeah, But 
weird enough, you you mentioned that, Alec, and then they literally brought back and did Jason Bourne, the movie. And what I'm about to say is why the first trilogy works so well. I mean, you had Doug Lyman directing the first one, but when you think of Bourne, you probably think of Paul Greengrass directing and Matt Damon starring in it. They did that for the fifth one, and it was rubbish. It was. <laughs> like, they somehow captured that magic in Ultimatum and Supremacy, and then fucked it with Renner, and then fucked it again with themselves somehow. Somehow they just couldn't bring that back. And it's not that huge of a time gap. I would like looking through and looking like the Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. And, oh, they obviously left it too long. It's like, it's only like a few years later. They really should have. Maybe if they had jumped straight on it and not done Legacy and gone straight to Jason Bourne, because, you know, the trend of the later films is just Rocky Balboa, John McClane, Jason Bourne. Just use the name of the protagonist in full, because that's cool. It makes him cool. <sighs> yeah, it nearly worked, but the, the fifth one didn't work. And Those three films are good, but the rest of it is shite. There was this weird period for about six months maybe longer than that, I don't. I can't remember exactly, where they decided that Jeremy Renner would replace every, like, action hero. Oh, like, yeah. Because he, he obviously was in this, and then he was also um, sort of coming in as a the kind of stealth, the Mission Impossible for, yeah. a, a stealthy kind of, oh, maybe this guy's going to replace Tom Cruise, who's getting a bit peaky. Like, we're not, we're not sure he can do amazing stunts for, like, oh, no, three wait. more films. Tom, oh, wait, he Tom totally Cruise can. is <laughs> arguably better than ever now, and he's a hundred years old and powered by Lord Xenu. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same with when in the um, early... To, no, yeah, no, no, mid, mid 2000s, sorry, not the early 2000s, where everyone thought, Sam Worthington's going to do everything now. Mm. <laughs> He's the way he's forward. He's the biggest film ever. What yeah. could possibly go wrong? Put him in the uh, put him in the fucking Terminators as well. Put him in oh no. put him in put him in nothing. Put him in nothing. And and I'd just like to say, hey, Marvel executives who I know are listening, it's not too late to replace Renner as Hawkeye either. Like they seem gonna, they seem to be heading that way. They, I mean, if they're going to introduce Kate, Kate Bishop, yeah, yeah, and and like if they're going to do the the fraction and aha Hawkeye run. I don't think Renner can pull that off. Sam Worthington, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to be Jai Courtney. Or, 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 <laughs> or oh, Michael God. was going to be another Suicide Squad guy of Stop. Scott Eastwood. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Insert generic white guy uh, here. Oh, we could do an entire episode on what's wrong with Jai Courtney. But anyway, <laughs> um, I think there's a role out there for him. Nope. <laughs> And you have uh, a theory that there's a perfect film and a perfect director. He can, he can replace our Foley guy. That's his role. Brad, Brad's role. <laughs> Brad, Brad's quaking <laughs> in his boots. Brad's role sounds like an excellent, terrible film. That's Oscar. Like, I think it's an Oscar seen Hearts bait, War. Here's Brad's role. Follow up to like Foyle's War or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Brad's role. Schindler's List. No, Brad's, Brad's role. <laughs> Brad's role. Cheese Good role. Lord. Brad's role. The Nuremberg Report. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What did you do, Brad? What's your vroom, surname, vroom. Brad? Nuremberg? <laughs> vroom, vroom. Brad Nuremberg. Holy man. Make things sound like things. He makes things sound like other things. Yep. You want your motorbike in your movie? Well, I'm going to go. Put that in your movie. There we go. I'm done. It's I want called Excalibur. Where do you figure the motorbike's going to be? Just put it in there. Our Excalibur. <laughs> I've gone around a corner. <laughs> Sounds like going kind of underwater. <laughs> you were, you're doing like eight bit motorbike sound effects. Like you're just gargling. That was kind of eight bit. Yeah, it's all the Pez coming back up. Oh, <laughs> Pez resurgence. Pez legacy. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> the pe- the Pez ultimate. Sorry, Brad releasing a parrot there. That was a new laugh for me. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to discuss another trilogy that fell off a cliff. Why don't you take it, Mr. Plowman? Sure. Take it. Part time. Oh, ah, there we so, go. Yeah. Indiana Jones. Oh, boy. <laughs> Indiana Jones is an interesting one because I think in another universe, Indiana Jones 4 could have worked. I don't think it was doomed to failure. In the, the sequelizers universe. And the thing with Indiana Jones is that each of those films works as a standalone film. They're self-contained narratives, and and I guess it kind of makes sense because they're borrowing from that whole serial thing where you would have these self-contained arcs. So the idea of making an Indiana Jones film that picks up 20 years after the fact is not an entirely terrible idea. And I think that the reason that... We've talked before about why Crystal Skull was a bad film. Yeah, we did an entire episode on it, Alec. Yes, we did. Check it out. But on reflection, thinking about it again, I think something Whoa, that... you're about to say it's good. <laughs> no, I'm not. On reflection, yeah. it's my favourite. It's, it's yeah. the best one. <laughs> on reflection, Shia LaBeouf. Oh. No, actual I'm... cannibal. The Indiana Jones LaBeouf. legacy. <laughs> so I think that the um, the biggest one of the biggest problems with Indiana Jones... Because, again, this feels like it should tick all the boxes. It's, it's you know, we're getting the old old team back together. It's it's Spielberg and it's Lucas and we've got Karen Allen and we've got Harrison back, obviously. But I think that one of the biggest problems with this film is that you were dealing with two creatives and more so one creative than the other who were in a fundamentally different headspace from when they made the first three movies. Yeah. And as a result, wanted to take out or wanted to adjust many of the elements that made the first three movies successful in the first place. I think George Lucas is one of the strangest filmmakers of our time. He's one of the most important, but his trajectory is weird. In terms of what happens with Lucas, in terms of... He's a filmmaker who's made barely any movies. Firstly, he's so. I think invested. people don't re- don't realize that his his time. actual directorial credits yeah. are very small. Yeah, yeah. And his invo- the way he gets involved in movies is very weird, and it's very apparent watching. And I don't think Lucas is entirely to blame for this because I think that Spielberg at the time was in revisionist mode as well. This was also when Spielberg was doing the whole edited version of E.T. where you replace the guns with walkie-talkies. I was just thinking that 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 was about the same time. And I think that they kind of got cold feet about doing an Indiana Jones movie because they felt that they needed to soften Indiana Jones. And I think that that is probably my... I have many problems with this film. The monkeys is a big problem. <laughs> the fridge, the aliens. Shia but I think, but I think, watching an Indiana Jones movie where Indiana Jones, I don't think shoots a dude in that film. Like that is a big. Where Indiana Jones is just a big old, a big old part-time softy. Is we, just... we, we talked about it. I think it's like an hour and fifty minutes in before any guns are yeah. shot or something like that. There isn't any. Anything happens for like an hour. And as weird as it is, I think that the fourth indie film could have been saved by being done by different people, which is a very strange thing to say when when you're talking about that kind of movie. Um, But I think that 
I'm also very partial to a sequel that picks up 20 years later and you get to turn around and go, well, stuff has changed. Let's see where the pieces lie now. What kind of a character is this? I think Indy was also one of the first films to really jump into that. We're getting a lot of that now. And I think people have gotten a lot better at it now. Indy didn't really... So I think that maybe... And I'll be interested to see what they do for Indy 5, whether they can capitalise on that a bit more. Well, they've learned their fucking lesson. Yeah. Mm. I'm assuming that Harrison Ford's going to die at the end of that one because Uh, he... I want him to die midway through. (laughs) But um, First scene. (laughs) That would be bold. I'd be impressed if, if they did. You're, you're a teacher. <laughs> <Part five. laughs> rather, rather than the, uh, the 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 universal mountain, like turning into like an exotic volcano or whatever, it's the top of Indiana Jones's gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be I'd be up for that. I'd be I'd be down for that. I think I think it's Indiana Jones's gravestone and. Henry Jones is mourning him. Played by Sean, Sean Connery. Connery. And that is Who his is so I, young. A 100-year-old Sean Connery. That is his adventure. Uh, it, it, his, I have no problem with that. It's his last crusade. I'm trying I, not to shit his pants on the way I, back yeah. to the bus. <laughs> I must admit, I, I love Henry the idea Jones. that. I will do. And the trip to the pharmacy. I will come out of retirement for this movie on the condition that I get to do all of my own stuff. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just myself yeah. trying not to shit myself. We uh, we obviously lost Sean on the on the set uh, because of his ridiculous stunts, but it's too good of a scene not to put in. So we finished the film. It's yeah. what he would have wanted. Yeah. We also reanimated his corpse. Yeah. Uh, it's what he would have wanted. I just want to put out there: Indiana Jones and the Weekend at Bernie's. Oh. <laughs> I really, as weird as it's going to sound, like the idea of a Watchmen story. It's because you mentioned that the, the Paramount logo become the the, uh, the tombstone things where Indy's dead, but we see like the comedian style. It's the most important aspect of the film and keeps seeing flashbacks and things like that i'd be okay with that kind of indiana jones 5 where he's not in it but he is in it kind of thing mm. but we're not gonna get that we're gonna get another fucking india story but yeah alex right indie 3 and again uh, growing up as kids and we're not going to talk about this now but i know you people online are going to talk about it star wars um it's a trilogy for a lot of people and one trilogy and that's the end of it and even now i will say like oh you know Crystal Skull and a friend of mine will always say I'm sorry what are you talking about there's only Every, four, we got three so energy. many fucking yeah. tweets when we were, exactly. we're fixing the Crystal Skull what film was that oh I don't know what you're talking about there's only three of them Ugh. yeah and, and it's it's a tired joke but it's also like yeah people have excised it from memory it's just not a thing because it's such a snapshot not just of, a, of, of three stories but I think I think Alex's right with the idea of these creators it's them at that time celebrating something they loved when they were kids or very very young and in the revisionist days, it just didn't have that same energy pacing from anyone involved. As you say, someone else involved in a new team would have been probably, although this isn't either of our pitches for the actual sequelizer for Indy 4, but would have been a big way to go to just yeah, launch a different... But for Indy 4, we also we moved it back in time, which is the other solution to yes, that exactly. problem. It's, it, you know, if it's, Fix if it it's a question of, you know, you've kind of... Uh, not quite captured lightning in a bottle but you know you need those people at that time then you make all the films at that time i also think if you're gonna do an older indie movie you have to address the fact that he's older they don't really do that in they sort of soften him a bit but he's not really and that sort of more paternal side is kind of underwritten but also we already saw that in temple of doom with short round so you've got to You've got to push it in a bit. Yeah, it was a, a wasted opportunity. And I, I feel that today, 
there would be a very different approach. It's also that thing where Harrison Ford wasn't old enough at this point that he might die at some point. <laughs> and I think that... He was immortal then. I, but, it's, but it's ridiculous. And then he had a bunch of plane crashes. Looking back on that movie, it's like Harrison Ford is in his late 50s, early 60s. How is he possibly going to be Indiana Jones? And it's like now we're in a world where it's like Sylvester Stallone is 7 million and he's Rambo again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. final blood. God, Wait, you're honest. so right. Yeah. Oh my god. I really want to look up how old was uh, Harrison Ford when uh, he did that film versus how old is Keanu now doing John, John Wick, Wick films? Because yes. he's he's like 55 now, and you don't ever question for a second that he can kick every single person's ass. I, I actually, and this is, uh, I'm sure everyone will want to correct me on this, but fuck off. Basically, I genuinely feel the moment that Marvel, sorry, started investing in older actors and they said, who's your lead here? Uh, it's Robert Downey Jr. It's like, he, he an old man already. It's like, we're going for like 25-year-olds. But he's a sexy old man. Yeah, man. he'll do. And he's also a good actor. But the, the point is that once it's established that, oh yeah, old actors don't just die. And <laughs> they still, they're I mean, still they around. do. No, they don't. <laughs> Kirk Douglas is still CGI. The interesting thing in that case is that Robert Downey Jr. might have been like 50-whatever when he did that movie, but they were like, here's Robert Downey Jr., age 50, playing 30-year-old Tony Stark. Yeah. It's like, so I think that it's less, it's not so much there's plenty of roles for older people. It's like, if you look young enough, we'll still pretend you're 30. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's, it depends, but I think there's, I mean, again, the, 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 the Terminator Dark Fate, for example. And I know that's the nature of bringing the character back. Um, Because again, as you say, a good example of coming back to a franchise years later and saying, oh, uh, by the way, general consensus here, uh, Alec and I have both seen Dark Fate. You two haven't seen Dark Fate. And we're like, yeah, sorry. It's It's pretty good. And it's an example of like, oh, give it a bit of time. But again, Arnie's in it again. And Arnie is also a billion years old. 72 years old. Yeah, and he's limping around. I'm thinking, Jesus, fuck, this man is old. Let him sit down. Puff, but Arnie's, Arnie's still a brick shit house. As yeah, long true. as Schwarzenegger's still a brick shit house, he can be in a movie. Yeah, that's which funny. I think is ultimately the, the eventual story of The Rock. Withers away into this little old man. The, the Rock will be the same thing where he's like, you know. The Rock's bigger than Schwarzenegger. Arnie's still chucking people around in that movie as well. There's a scene where he straight up body slams a guy into... <laughs> I'd like to think that's CGI. I don't think. I think. Stuff I don't like think so. that. I think he killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> that man is dead, Matt. Dead. He's a robot. <laughs> Fair. So those are my thoughts on old man Indy and why he don't groove like he used to. Speaking of, old- <laughs> <laughs> I remember you all remember this tasty jam. It's uh- <laughs> speaking. Speaking of old men who don't groove like they used to. Oh, Matthew Stockton. Shit. Tell us about your weird trilogy that, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't really count as a trilogy, and I feel like you've broken the whole game anyway, so fuck oh. you, but also tell us. Agreed. I will. I will. So, okay. This is a, a, a substantial one for me. I put out... Well, we all worked on a little list of uh, contenders for this thing, and I said, Bond. Instantaneous. It's- I was like, what? Yeah. Which, which ones, Matt? There's 25 of the cunts. What are you doing? Yeah. And the Stop thing is, after Goldfinger. Lot, yeah. lot no, of old Bond. Yeah, because... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lot of old bond. Lot of, lot of old bond down the road. Um, but the thing is, Thunderball's really, really goddamn good, so you don't want to really stop at three. But if you um, 
cord them off and basically segment them into the actual actor playing Bond. Now, obviously, the break from Brosnan and and the aforementioned jet skiing on a fucking tidal wave, where the fuck it was, in an ice palace. Invisible or some shit. BMWs. Invisible BMWs. Yeah, invisible Jesus. upside down cars in an ice palace. Yeah. yeah, all that wank. And then they said, "We need to make this more like we need more cock and ball torture." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's a, how you open a movie, goddammit. That's how you close your film as well. Electrocute is dead. Electrocute is dead. That is what the public wants. Electrocute is dead. We're going to loop that now and make a new hit. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is my new ringtone. <laughs> they wanted to make it more like Bourne. Because people liked Bourne. They weren't the more... They said, okay, we'll go back to the start. We'll do Casino Royale, the first book. Because no one had officially done in the, in the Bond, Broccoli, Eon canon that book or that story specifically so it was fresh and new for the public technically in the it's like we're basically rebooting bond from the start unlike where most bond had picked up with the story thus far and kind of said oh okay he's previous mission saying no no this is his first mission this is the first story hence why this is the start of a trilogy and then the second film came out quantum solace and quantum solace was it was fine it was actually as far as a a bad guy story about running terrorism and oil in the, in the desert actually made a lot of sense and wasn't like a maniacal um, mustache twining villain nonsense or like, you know Doctor Evil kind of shit because again after Austin Powers came out it was really hard to play that sort of straight thing it actually made a lot of physical sense in terms of the story but it was just a little bit dull and eh. oddly enough Quantum of Solace works so much better if you watch it straight away after Casino Royale exactly you watch it as one cohesive story that's pretty good. Yeah, and Touch then if you go straight better. into Skyfall, the thing becomes actually one really clean narrative. And Skyfall, in the, in the same way that, in, well, in a strange way, the fourth and fifth Pirates of the Caribbean films being so arse elevates the other two. Skyfall being so good elevates two because it's like, oh, it's all been building. Shit, now I'm on board. Now I get it. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'll muscle through it, but yeah. And then Skyfall, and this is the key thing about the trilogy mindset, Skyfall ends perfectly admitted it would be better if it was sean connery but doesn't matter um if rather than uh albert finney but it was originally supposed to be sean connery to be, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's very apparent and obviously yeah. it is a disappointment as far as like a cinema cinematic oh, it's the old scottish guy who james bond knows <laughs> hi are you still here he raised yeah. him maybe <laughs> <laughs> who apparently owns an aston martin db5 <laughs> and and it's just like just grown up Kevin McAllister and just doing a Home Alone thing in his what house. You, what you don't know is that they are going back through all of the Connery Bond films, <laughs> digitally replacing him with Albert. Oh Finney. wow! Some people would be happy with that. I'm not going to lie, but the interesting thing to me Coming is broccoli. the way that uh, the Skyfall ends. Most importantly, you, all the stuff we've come to get used to with the the female M and the contemporary story and the contemporary gadgets, all that's thrown away. To here's a radio and here's a gun, and then it ends with. M. It's an old British man in a wood-panelled room, and he's like, "Are you ready to go back to work now? You've had your whole little thing. This is that, you know, mission one." And he says, "Yep, ready. Let's go." If you stop there and go back to Doctor No, that then becomes just this perfect circular. It never ends. But then they made fucking Spectre and pissed it all up the fuck. And I think genuinely, if you'd stop making all Bonds ever at Skyfall, it would have been the best sort of legacy ending for it. It would, and and then. Then this is where I get to the fantasy bullshit, but I mean, I obviously haven't seen the fifth one. Do not want whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> do you know what the new Bond film's called? Is that the do not want is the bad Chinese translation of Darth Vader's no? 
Bill from Revenge of the Sin. Correct. Who's, who's doing the theme song to Do Not Want? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's who, the person it's who did Baby James Shark. James Bond does not want. No, it's it's Randy Newman. <laughs> do not want <laughs> Bond walking down the road. Does not want to be a spy. Now he is a spy. <laughs> Are you looking, Jack? Because I can't. No time to die. Oh, fuck off. That's a line from Predator. That feels like a flipping James Bond video game that yeah, came exactly. out it really in the does. mid-2000s. Yeah. Yeah. And Spectre, Spectre was a disappointment, knowing that, but it was the original, and, and much more from like, the Indiana Jones stuff. It was, oh, it's Sam Mendes is coming back. And we got all these great actors and things. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. And it's Blofeld. Christoph Waltz is a great cast for that one. And then you watch it and think... Christoph Waltz is the obvious cast yeah. for that one. And you know, this is... <sighs> Really, quite shit and boring and dull Be- because they got the rights for Blofeld back. Yes. basically that is the only fucking reason that film yeah. exists is because we need to do it and prove that we can do it because we haven't had Blofeld for like twenty five years. Yeah, entirely, and we need it because reasons because he's he's James Bond's ultimate nemesis, right? And it's all been it's all set up by this guy, except it was all set up by well, previously by yeah. Bardem in the last film there's always another string so, pulling bad guy to ruin the yeah. previous film yeah and I'm, no, it I wasn't do... quantum it wasn't the other guy it was the other guy it's a bigger conspiracy just like born legacy it's like expanded conspiracy yeah. it's totally gonna work never fucking works no, it's always disappointing because you feel like you've got an actual satisfying conclusion and you know then that becomes a, an almost irrelevant statement but the thing is a character as well where he's got, this is my first mission in Casino Royale. I'm hot-headed and young and stupid and making lots of connections and friends. I and have things. my balls tortured. <laughs> got my balls tortured so literally I can pump it into as many women as possible and never make any kids. And then you get quite <laughs> well, a... Mess- the moment where he's sterilised? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and then you got the second film, which is just literally, this is my first proper job and I'm going to do a good job of it. Oh, I'm maybe I'm a bit shit at this. And then the third one, I've been taken out in the first five minutes Fuck spy life. Fuck the whole thing. Oh, I have to come back. I, I have nothing else. It, it's really a wonderful little trilogy. And then the fact we keep doing... And also Daniel Craig gets progressively more tired as he goes along. I mean, and he literally said, if I come back for one more, I'll slit my wrist. Yes. Then they gave him all of the money in the world. And he was like, well... You just wait till the premiere. Oh. <laughs> Commit suicide. <laughs> the red in the middle of his blood. <laughs> the curtain goes up and Daniel Craig is just crucified. <laughs> I thought Sabuka was pretty bad. But... Yeah. No, I like the idea that he's the Craig's like, a fiction, if you will. This very awkward beast is lumbering down there. I was like, is that Daniel Craig? Fuck, he looks terrible. <laughs> and he rips his skin off his face and it's Sean Connery. That's what you fucking wanted me to do. And then he rips you his skin of off and shit. it's Albert Finney all along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, so that, that's expanding the conspiracy right there. There is, yeah. So it's it's a weird one to suggest, but it is also, in my opinion, an entirely valid one. I, I genuinely feel it's one that that works as a trilogy, and the longer it goes on, the more, and most importantly, Bond needs to stop. I've always maintained if I'm talking about, there's oh, no time to die. Man. There's time to stop. <laughs> Never die. Just stop. People always ask me. Um, I don't know why they're always people always ask, always ask me. <laughs> I'll phrase that differently. <laughs> No, keep that. Every Pretentious time. motherfucker. <laughs> it, it's painfully true, though. Whenever Bond films comes out, could people you, Could me you it. say it more like your Jacob Breeze mog? Just go, <laughs> people, always people always ask me uh, <laughs> when I'm in a burning build. No, 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 no. Whenever there's a new Bond film or, or talk of a new Bond actor, or something, people, everyone always asks everyone's you. Everyone's always they, asking me. I'm glad you said it. Everyone's always asking me, um, <laughs> who would you cast as Bond and all that sort of shit? <laughs> 
always. I get stopped in train stations. <laughs> I feel like, oh my god, you're that guy. Excuse me, Pfizer. Uh, this is the first time I've been out of the house in uh, 25 years. But I was wondering if I might ask you a somewhat personal question. Not about the willy, you understand, but personal nonetheless. Eh? In, the, in the event that, um, that uh, Cubby Broccoli came up to you and said, uh, Matthew, I, know, I assume your name is Matthew, uh, who, would you, uh, who would you choose to cast in uh, spy extraordinaire action flick James Bond? Uh, what would your answer be? And uh, I do hope that they're of the white persuasion because I didn't take you as a girly man, lefty liberal sort, but... If you cast a black man, then I, uh, a black man that is not a black man. Oh <laughs> <laughs> a black man would be right for another, another go around with Bond. You know what I mean? In that, uh... <laughs> oh, my face hurts. <laughs> in the way that he does. Sort of like a rape, that scene was. <laughs> but in the event... <laughs> In the event, uh, old Matty Matty Stokes, that you were to cast, you were to cast a fine actor of British standing mind, not another Australian. I'm looking at you, Lazenby, you sick Aussie bastard. Criminals, a lot of them, I say. But if you were to cast a Britman, an Engelman, in the role of Timothy Bond, then tell me, Stocky boy, tell me who'd you cast? Who'd you cast as Bond, Stokes? Your voice has changed. Who'd At this point, I've already gone on the train, you see. <laughs> but he's still there. <laughs> screaming. <laughs> screaming. Screaming at a departing train. <laughs> Where the fuck do I go from now? <laughs> well, who yeah. would you cast as Bond, man? Uh, it's not Idris Elba, I'm afraid. Can't have a black night, Joe. No, the reason is... <laughs> Nigel Farage <laughs> would be my Bond. <laughs> oh... Because like the real Bond, it was real mind back in the war, neither for I know what best for Britain. You've got great jowl sounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a good... Why are you bringing this character to us now? He's amazing. <laughs> Don't it's name Alec him. Church. <laughs> oh. Uh, I'm always asked. <laughs> <laughs> by, train by, station by, by racist old men at the train station. It usually is with Bond fans. Who would you cast or what would you do with Bond and such? And, and the truth is, you don't keep saying, oh, is it going to be as like an Idris Elba? Is it going to be a black Bond? Is it going to be a lady Bond? Is it? it doesn't fucking matter. Make it a period film in the 60s. The idea is that if you're going to have all the tropes of Bond, that he is a misogynistic prick, he's frankly racist, he has all the things that are quite fancy, like marmalade, yeah. and it's like things that actually don't mean shit. Then, and obviously the bad guys are the Russians, even though that's kind of come full circle um <laughs> then you just literally just, yeah set it as a period drama during the cold war and it would be fine it would be okay people would understand why it is the way it is the more you try and modernize it the more you sort of skirt a line of people saying there's no room for this shit because it is to be fair quite shit i enjoy bond films in the same way i would enjoy other big blockbusters but then i'll wait for like the oh hang on he's gonna have to like change gear soon and we'll have a close-up of his watch and it will stay there Little, little too long, so I can see it's an Omega or a Rolex or some old bullshit. So yeah, I, I genuinely think you, um, it was a great place to stop, and they just couldn't leave for a billion dollars or whatever. They couldn't leave it the fuck alone. Made Spectre and said, "Don't worry, don't worry. The next time, next time we'll fix it." It's, it's literally, it's the John Hammond of next time we'll get it right. It's like they won't. There'll always be a bullshit. There'll always be a next time, and you'll always get it wrong. I'm just gonna say. I, I feel slightly Roused? differently. Uh, always. Oh, always okay. yeah. Differently from you about this, Mr. Please Stoll. don't tell me you're like Spectre. Surprise. No, that's not going to be my point. But my point is that the fun thing about James Bond 
that there is always an ebb and flow there. James Bond is one of those few franchises that has now been going for 50 years, almost continuously. The longest break is six years between Bond films. I think you have good ones, you have bad ones, but I think that there will continue to be good and bad Bond films. Should we have like a little and rise that's... of like uh, some, some Elgar or something? It feels like there should be like some music underneath this. Yeah. There will always be a Bond. <laughs> but yeah, we I, will I bond them I on don't... the beaches. <laughs> we will bond them in the fields of England. I don't know how I... I, I don't feel so bad about the, that as a constant because I think that it does ebb and flow and it does change and he does adapt to the times. What you tend to find is that he has a moment where he adapts to the times really well and then very quickly that just falls by the wayside. So Pierce Brosnan, Goldeneye, captures the zeitgeist perfectly and then they spend the next three movies trying to recapture the zeitgeist and failing. Um, And then it's kind of the same for um, Daniel Craig, I think. And I thought Quantum of Solace was turd so i think there are like two good bond films i don't know if i could justify Wait, two, I two good craig films or two good craig films. right yeah. Yeah. yeah two good bond films not two 23 f- pieces of shit yeah yeah not two full stop but there are two there yes, are two yes, good daniel yes. craig films two not so good daniel craig films and then uh, you know that just seems like the way bond goes and i also think it's interesting because i think that the third one i think skyfall feels like it's a reboot of the first two and I don't know if I'd necessarily say that's a trilogy because I feel I like... I don't know. How is it a reboot? Because I think that there's a tonal shift there. It's a soft reboot. Yeah, but it's, it's there's third a tonal grind, shift yeah. away, from the, away from the grittier stuff to the more... I think it's interesting that film came out around the time of the Olympics and it was all very British in its... Yeah. that It's a bit more... That film feels a bit more proud of Bond than the other films were. And it feels like it's trying to re-establish some more Bondy elements. Mm. Whereas films number one and two would take it as far away from Bond as possible. Again, to re- well, again, yeah. the Casino Royale is the reboot of the franchise because it's like, well, you, we've we've killed it with some campy Brosnan shit. When they went born on Bond was the phrase yes, at the yes, time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. But there we go. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I would probably agree with Alec, actually. I, I think Quantum of Solace is a big... I don't know if I'd say it's a turd, but it's definitely... Yeah, turd turd was harsh, but it's a letdown. It's a fart, at least. (laughs) But, like, 50% hit rate for a Bond actor is about average. Like, it's, like... I mean, you look at some of the latter Roger Moores, especially, and it's like, Bond has limped along and managed to survive some real dreg periods. Um, And I, I, I think that there is room for it to be reinvented. Um, and I don't know if that means like a radically different bond where you kind of, you hold your hands up and go like, yeah, no, it's just a code name. And, you know, this oh, yeah, this yeah, bond yeah, yeah. is a, you know, a woman or, you know, someone from an ethnic minority or whatever. I think I think it will eventually kind of, there will be a leap forward like there was with Brosnan, like there was with, Craig of you know some someone will come along with a really good idea and go no this is how we make a Bond film for you know this 2023 or whatever mm. yeah I, I can see the, I can see your argument as well Matt I think mm. well again that's the nature of the discussion isn't it? it's literally the idea of putting forth these ideas and guys again I mean for example we talk about uh, and this will be a discussion we will come back to later obviously franchises that rectify themselves mm-hmm. like uh, say 
I'm always banging on like Godzilla, for example. Like, yeah, but where do you jump in? And we'll be done with like Friday the Thirteenth. We'll discuss more about that, say, in future episodes and things. But I think Bond's one that does keep rectifying itself by basically rebooting itself with a new person. But as I say, for me personally, I still think that this trilogy is a stand, uh, uh, you know, a trilogy of stories, three that really stand alone nicely, and they just literally shit shit itself. And again, as I say, I don't obviously haven't seen. Do not, do not want. Do not, do not die. No time to die. <laughs> I just realised no time to die is a play on the time to die, Mister Bond thing, and I'm like, oh god, yeah, yeah. See, it's not going to get better, is it? So, do not want, indeed, Matthew. Do not want. But uh, yeah, I think uh, people will look back and think, ah, oh, Craig, you should have stopped three, man. Your wrists. Think about your wrists, man. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to like some point in the future where we can have a like a YouTube compilation of Robert Pattinson doing interviews for. Twilight films and Daniel Craig doing interviews for Bond films where it's just two men just being and, like and Ben Affleck for everything yeah <laughs> just being like I don't want to be here oh, I just <laughs> don't want to you know so there are some examples of trilogies that went bad that fell off cliffs if you have any other suggestions tweet at us email us all that good stuff as you often do we've got a listener feedback episode coming up but before we get to that we do have some not-so-happy news, listeners. Our Father in Heaven. <laughs> what? Most people don't get to hear the end of episode two of Zeke Prayer. <laughs> Our Father who art in Heaven, Alec Plowman, is departing sequelizers, ladies and gentlemen. I am. This is my, this is my final foray into the world of You're Nigel sequelizing. Foray, I, I won't, but thank you. Yes, I am I am departing the good ship sequelizers. It's been a fun ride, but now I must sail on. My, to... my, but my planet needs me. <laughs> <laughs> Alec Flamman died on the way back. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh, the poochie of sequelizers. <laughs> but yes, it has been a fun ride. I have thoroughly enjoyed my time sequelizing. Uh, I have enjoyed uh, your weird and wonderful comments, sequelizers fans. So I, w- I will miss it, but... Thank you for your support, your internet comments, and your listening ears. <laughs> Good lord! That's the note you want to go out. <laughs> Fucking hell! So, someone just, uh, someone just discovered the uh, the portrait that Alec keeps hidden away in his attic, and he just aged in real time. Yeah, it's like that bit in Indiana Jones Four where they open the caskets and all the conquistadors go. Oh, no. He still looks pretty good, though. So, yeah, that's it. Cheers. It's been fun. So, for one final time, how do we find you on the internet, Mr. Plowman? www.alecplowman.com. How up to date is it? Uh, it doesn't need, need to, to be up to date like we need to, do a, need to do a check-in every now and then. It just says, I'm starting a new podcast. Yeah. It's called Sequelizers. <laughs> <laughs> check it out soon. doesn't need to be up to date because there's nothing on it. But you can go there. That's how you can find out about me. I'm in a band. Is with... it because there's nothing there? You there's just said there was that's nothing all there. you need to know. I'm in a band with Jack called Monster City, MonsterCityBand.com. We we are recording an album. We which are. Is fun. It's good. I like it. So yeah, that's me. Peace, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Stogs. How about you? You can find me on the internet. You know you can. Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, on many different platforms. And I do reviews at theredrighthand.co.uk. I do films with Cheeseman at Cheeseman.com. All that stuff, all those things. If you also feel that uh, Bond is an inappropriate answer, 
I look forward to telling you in various forms how you can go fuck yourself. Because I know the internet. You can go fuck yourselves. Try it. See what you get. Try go fucking yourself. <laughs> yeah. Aruborus. Stop pronouncing it like that. I like pronouncing it like that. But an Ouroboros. No, it's not. Ouroboros sounds like some fucking weird holiday destination I wouldn't go to. Arugula. Arugula. That's a <laughs> when, a you say, when you say Ouroboros, you just sound like you're Richard Nixon saying <laughs> Ouroboros. I am not a vegetable. <laughs> I'm trying to summon the what, the, the seagull in Finding Dory. Becky the singer. Aruru, Becky. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, ah! if you also feel you pronounce <laughs> interestingly, send us a voice clip. How do you pronounce Storm from the X-Men's first name? Oronoco Flow. <laughs> Speaking of X-Men, Tim. Hello. How do people follow you on the internet and all your exploits? <laughs> yeah, uh, Twitter's the main place to find me, trivia underscore lad. As as Jack mentioned, I often rant about the X-Men. Um, I've had a few, like, bits on various websites but i always link to stuff on twitter so that's that's the easiest way to find me chambers 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 where can people find you find you on the internet i really want to know there was a tune oh. almost and then it <laughs> just yeah. went always wait because there might be more <laughs> <laughs> no i'm done okay <laughs> i am jlw chambers on pretty much everything all the all the cool new chinese alternatives to snapchat and whatnot I can't remember what that was called. Quibby? Quibby? You're the one yeah. who's fucking pronouncing it. I pronounce it Quibby. Quibby. Uh, if you have any questions, any comments, we do have a listener feedback episode, which is going to be our next episode before we kick into the next season. Send them to us. Sequelizers at gmail.com is the best place to find them. You can tweet at us as well, but most people seem to be emailing because they seem to be quite extensive. We've had full fucking essays from people and it's it's going to be a good episode so we should co- we that. should cover we don't worry about asking we will explain what's happening going forward at the start of that episode rather than what's going on <laughs> what do we do now so we'll, we'll tell you i mean we'll do that we'll do that as well yeah. but so yeah unless you want to ask us that you can i guess sure yeah fuck it i'm not i'm not like in charge of it. i'm not your mum aren't you <laughs> twist i'm your mum <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Twist I'm your mum isn't the last sentence of this episode. I don't know. Twist I'm your mum is the last thing you hear before you die. (laughs) That's why I'm to look in the face of both bemused shock and also like, like, what? Left hand yellow. Twist I'm your (laughs) mum. And then the the magic roundabout music plays you out. (laughs) Twist I'm your (laughs) mum. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts.